The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the upcoming International Association uh, of Privacy Professionals uh, big annual conference. It's an international conference that's going to take place in, in March, March 5th through the 7th. And we're also going to talk about the major privacy trends. And I'm very excited because we're going to be there and we're going to be actually doing um, a show there, interviewing the top keynotes as well as the wonderful exhibitors and other people that are there. And this is a huge conference. So we'll talk about that. And we're also going to talk about these important issues in privacy. And I'm so excited because today we are interviewing Omar Tene, who is Vice President of Research and Education at the International Association of Privacy Professionals in New Hampshire. That's where he is. And he is Managing Director of Tenney and Associates and Deputy Dean of the College of Management School of Law in Rishon Zion, Israel. He's an Israeli. And he right now is on leave of absence to do this. And he's an affiliate scholar at the Stanford Center for Internet and Society and a fellow, a senior fellow at the Future of Privacy Forum. So we're really excited to have him. You can find out more about him and the Privacy Association at privacyassociation.org and you can learn all about that upcoming conference but let's get started Omer thank you so much for joining us all the way from the east coast my pleasure oh this is fun and I get to meet you in person this year too so I'm looking forward to that so let's before we start getting into the nitty-gritty of privacy Let's just let my audience know in case they're interested. Now, students can join who are interested in privacy. It's such a huge issue. Let's talk about um, IAPP a little bit and how it's become a 15,000-person organization. Uh, Sure. The uh, IAPP, the International Association of Privacy Professionals, is the world's largest organization for the uh, uh, privacy industry. Uh, Its growth and expansion really tracks the uh, increased importance of privacy uh, in the world, in a world that's gone digital, where data have become the most important raw material for production in many different industries. 
the IPP provides training and certification. We have uh, more than 6,000 certified professionals. Uh, um, Marie, I think you're one of them. Yeah, um, <laughs> We run conferences in the United States and Europe and in Asia. One of them is the uh, Global Privacy Summit in Washington, D.C., which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, we have numerous uh, publications and also a new research center named after Alan Weston, who was a foundational scholar uh, who really reconceptualized uh, privacy as control over personal information. So it's the Weston Research Center at the IEPP. How wonderful. You know, I had him on my show, and I'm so pleased because he, he did pass on in 2013, and he was the father of information privacy, and he was a brilliant Columbia professor. And that's so neat. I didn't realize that they named it after him. How great is that? And that you're involved in getting that whole thing going, huh? Exactly, yeah. So my really the biggest part of my uh, job here at the IPP is getting the Western Research Center going. And we have a couple of fellows in-house who are here for a full year of uh, fellowship. They're uh, top law school graduates, and uh, we look forward to producing cutting-edge and practical legal uh, research. Wow. And I remember I was one of the first members of IAPP. And I, I remember that first conference in D.C. where there were only 50 of us. And um, and and I was on a panel with Larry Poneman, who's a good friend who you may know. And um, and and Beth Givens actually went with me. She is the director of the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse. And there were, you know, it was a small group. And now I go there. Oh, my gosh. So we go every year and, and we're very excited to go back to D.C. and, and meet all the people. You know, that's how I've, I've had so many people who are members that have been on this show. So it's very exciting and it's wonderful to get to meet you now. And then we'll meet in person, too. So I'm excited. So let's talk a little bit about what's going to happen on uh, beginning March 5th at this international summit. Yeah, so the summit, uh, as you all know, know is the biggest uh, privacy conference in the world, actually. Uh, it takes place every year in Washington um, uh, sometime in the beginning of March. This right. year it's going to be held uh, between March 5th and March 7th. Uh, you said that the first conference that you attended had 50 participants. This year, we are expecting more than 2,500 participants. Wow. Uh, which I think is a good uh, uh, sort of sign of how the uh, industry and uh, the IPP specifically have uh, grown. Uh, we have a very exciting program with uh, keynote speeches from Jeffrey Tubin, who is the legal analyst for CNN, and uh, Julia Angwin, who has been widely recognized for her What They Know series at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and she's also publishing a book, which will come out uh, shortly. Um, we also have uh, FTC commissioners on the program, including the chairwoman, Edith Ramirez, as well as European regulators, uh, business leaders, uh, academics, and more. 
in terms of the topics, uh, some of the uh, topics uh, focus on government, given that the conference takes place in D.C., uh, but there's a lot of activity in the private sector side also. Some of it is regulatory-focused, some uh, uh, talking about new technologies, for example, connected cars or in-store tracking. Uh, but as you know, Mary, uh, more than anything, this is just a great networking event for anyone who's uh, interested in or involved in privacy. You get to meet people from all over the world, and it's lots of fun. It is, you know, and here you are from Israel, and then, of course, I always get to see my, my dear friend, Anne Kavukian, who is the uh, Privacy Commissioner of Ontario. She she just did a uh, a show with us recently and and comes on. So yeah, it is a wonderful place to to grow, you know, intellectually in the areas of privacy and to learn from each other and also to just have a great time meeting each other and. Ah, it's 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 a fabulous conference, and I I always enjoy going to it, and I'm so excited about this new Alan Weston research too. So that's that's exciting. So if anybody is listening and they want to go, well, I'm just going to make sure that you have this website so you can look at it, privacyassociation.org. And those of you on our campus at the University of California here who are very much into technology and privacy, this would be a fabulous conference for you to go as a student. So. Uh, there are student rates as well. So I'm excited. Now, um, let's kind of get into the nitty gritty of privacy. And you got to tell me, Omar, how did you get into privacy? Uh, so th- this is actually an interesting question for any privacy professional, because <laughs> given that this uh, profession has emerged only over the past uh, decade or maybe a bit more, uh, many people who are privacy professionals have converted from other uh, areas or industries. So uh, myself, I used to be a corporate lawyer, and I was looking for something a bit more academic, and thoughtful, um, and I answered an ad in The Economist. You know, The Economist yeah. has these uh, job postings, um, uh, which uh, was for a think tank position in London dealing with data protection. I didn't really know what it meant, uh, <laughs> but data protection in Europe is the uh, name for regulation of privacy. Right. And uh, I made the move, and it was my best career move uh, ever. Exciting. You know, you have to laugh about how, 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 like you said, like how do people get into this? I got into privacy because someone stole my identity when, when people didn't know what identity theft was back in 1996. And so from there, I ended up testifying in Congress and Identity theft is really the fallout from the lack of privacy, right? So I I got into the overall umbrella from being underneath in that whole issue of a woman parading as an attorney in my name. So I, I, I don't know if you knew that, but it's kind of a crazy way to get into it as well. So I hope I hope we get many more uh, newcomers to the uh, industry, but I hope none of them <laughs> pursue your path. Uh. <laughs> right, right. Well, when you know when life gives you lemons, you have to make lemonade, right? You have yep. to make lemonade. Now you talked and uh, you wrote and talked about t- the year two thousand thirteen last year being the year of privacy. So uh, why do you th- why did you say that? 
Well, you know, privacy made big headlines before 2013, but last year was really the year it became a leading story in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal on uh, TV channels on almost a weekly basis. Uh, and even a head of state issue, uh, literally, you know, with Merkel, Angela Merkel of Germany looking over her shoulder after she uh, found out that the U.S. was tapping her phone. Right. Uh, so, so certainly, first and foremost, the Snowden revelations, um, the, the degree and scope and magnitude of NSA surveillance was uh, astounding, I think, even to privacy cynics and people who suspected uh, some of the national security and law enforcement practices. Uh, so the, the you know the collection of immense quantities of data about uh, U.S. citizens, about Europeans, both traffic and uh, contents data. Uh, some of the news about breaking through encryption and even corrupting uh, encryption standards allegedly. Uh, and uh, the government co-opting the private sector, but sometimes also circumventing its controls and defenses uh, to get access to data. Uh, but it was not all Snowden. It was a big year for privacy policymaking with the European regulation stumbling through uh, Brussels and the do not track discussions uh, uh, stalled here in the United States. Um, and, you know, all this time technology com continues to run rampant with uh, Google Glass being introduced, uh, the Internet of Things, connected cars, uh, and more. And mobile devices, right, and all the apps. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And all, all of the new technology is just raising, you know, myriad issues of privacy, right? Absolutely. And it's driven by data. Data is the raw material. And, of course, there are uh, tremendous benefits to this, which we feel on a daily basis. But we also need to face up to the uh, risks and costs. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the NSA scandal and um, and what do you think is going to come out of this? So I think at the very least we have a public debate uh, about the uh, balance between national security and cybersecurity and civil liberties. And that, I think, is a very good thing. Um, you know, the Internet used to be borderless and democratic, uh, like a bottoms-up system. Now this whole structure, I think, is reeling from the discovery that the U.S. might have misused some of its privileged access to uh, the data centers and to the uh, focal points and critical junctures of uh, this uh, architecture. Uh, I think, unfortunately, this may serve regimes that want more intervention and control over the Internet, uh, like uh, Iran or China. Uh, on the other hand, we'll see increased focus on technological tools for privacy and for data security. Uh, and I think, you know, these tools might not be robust enough to keep the NSA out, but will certainly deter other <laughs> players or wrongdoers. So this might be a good uh, result coming out of it. Yeah. What about government? Now, you're an attorney and I'm an attorney and we, we know about, I'm sure you're, even though you're Israeli, I know you about, you are familiar with our constitution here. Um, is government surveillance justified actually anywhere, anywhere? 
Well, you know, government surveillance is essential to preserve national security and to enforce the law. Uh, so not only the government, but also terrorists and criminals are becoming increasingly technology savvy. Uh, and there needs to be some degree of uh, ability to control that. Uh, I think the question is to what extent mass surveillance is justified that right. the uh, surveillance of innocent citizens who are not suspected of uh, anything really in order to assemble large data sets which can then be sifted through and uh, you know anomalies can be identified and maybe uh, uh, crime or, or terrorist activity um, um, uh, prevented. Uh, you already see this, of course, in airports. Everybody is scanned, not just people who are a suspect, but now it's coming to your home when your, your activity is online. And the question is whether we'll have anywhere to hide in the future. Yes. And you come from a country that has always been, you know, in, in, in much more worried about terrorism than we ever were. Right. I mean, this was this is the hotbed in Israel, what they've been through and what they've learned to do in terms of the, the airport security and everything else. Um, I, I was talking with Ann Kavukian about the issue of privacy and security and civil liberties, and you can have surveillance and still have privacy. And it's just a matter, you know, we were talking about at least in the United States where you've got that, that there should be a warrant, you know, that, that when someone wants to surveil it first, they could have um, various levels of surveillance where things are encrypted first, but you know, so you can get some suspicion. And then from there you, you know, you, you, you get more and more levels of, of access based on the, um, you know, the, the neural networks that tell you what's out there. Right now, we're just collecting so much that I don't think you can even find the, the, you know, the forest through the trees. And we, you know, there's been all this talk about, oh, well, we're doing this to um, avoid terrorism. But Actually, they I think they've come up with it was maybe only one case that they could even allude to say that all of this mass surveillance led to a terrorist. So, you know, I just wonder about um, the way that it's done. Obviously, you're right. We have to have surveillance. We have to have protection. We have to have security. But I'm just wondering if it has to be at the expense of civil liberties. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, the the, the balance is the uh, the big question. And Commissioner Kavukin, who's a great leader in our uh, world, has um, issued a white paper about uh, privacy-aware government surveillance. Right. And actually, her concept of privacy by design, designing privacy into the technology and into the infrastructure, uh, may be one of the uh, 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 best solutions to some some of these problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, how will the Internet of Things affect privacy? Well, the Internet of Things refers to a connected world where devices talk to each other without human moderation. So right, basically, like my, my any device is connected to the Internet, and your fridge will call your car asking it to stop uh, for milk on the way, right. you know, home from work. Right. Uh, 
So the, taking humans out of the equation, the equation strains uh, the existing privacy models, and especially the regulatory framework, which is focused on individual choice. And I think uh, we mentioned uh, Commissioner Kavukian. That's uh, one reason why it's so important to design and to engineer privacy into the systems uh, in order to prevent uh, uh, these systems uh, uh, that we, you know, characterize as the Internet of Things from becoming uh, frameworks of mass surveillance and thereby also losing consumers' uh, trust. Exactly. You you probably get a kick out of this, Omer. Um, the I didn't want to be on the smart grid for electric, right? So I was the only one on my block that wouldn't let them put a, a you know that that smart thing on my on my house, and um, and my electric carrier is San Diego Gas and Electric, and then um, Ann Kavukian was coming to San Diego actually to to work with San Diego Gas and Electric to build redesign privacy into their uh their grid and and what they would do with you know their smart meters and so after she met with them they came out to me and i actually allowed it but i'm still a little scared about the smart grid that i'm connected you know and what they could collect about me especially when you said my refrigerator is going to talk to my car and 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 they'll know when my refrigerator is doing certain things or when all my lights are off and i'm on vacation and who has access to that so it's just it's just so almost overwhelming, isn't it, Omer? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm kind of a tech enthusiast, so uh, I, I like to think of the benefits that this brings, and, you know, there are wonderful breakthroughs in uh, medical research and yes. uh, the smart grid, so it's energy conservation and environmentalism uh, that can be uh, obtained through uses of data, uh, but certainly we need to, you know, prevent the world from becoming uh, what we call a panopticon, like a yes. place where there is no nowhere to hide and where you're constantly subject to monitoring or surveillance by not only government, but also private sector entities. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk about, you know, the teens and the young people and, and even, you know, us people like us who are... Um, you know, maybe worried about such things as Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Vine. There's so many of them, right? I can't even mention them all. So what what are your thoughts about our young people um, using this? And, and I'm pretty cautious about using Facebook. I put stuff up on Facebook. I put my dog up on Facebook. Um, but I don't tell people I'm going on vacation. I don't tell them till I come back. You know, I think about privacy. What about the young people? Do you think that they're thinking about privacy? Did you ask your dog for permission? So, you know, I think many times we've heard um, uh, uh, people talk about the demise of privacy for the younger generation, that uh, kids and teens don't care about privacy because they post so much stuff on uh, social networks. 
Uh, I think this isn't so. I think uh, kids and teens care very much about privacy. It just might mean different things to them than it means to um, basically to us, to the parents. Uh, they care, I think, less about Facebook or, uh, you know, another social network targeting ads at them and maybe about the corporate aspects of data collection and more about the borders between them and their teachers, their parents, and some of their peers. Uh, so I think uh, about privacy for kids is about creating spaces for individual growth and development. Uh, and I think for the younger generation, social networks are a tool for broadcast and for publication, but also for person, personal chats and for uh, forming uh, friendships and intimate relations. So, uh, you know, I think they serve multiple pr uh, purposes. They are platforms. And as such, I don't think they are uh, for or against privacy. They can be used in different ways. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. I mean, like you were talking about, you know, you're kind of a techie. And I love all of the new technology, too. And I, I think that's one of the challenges, getting back to that privacy by design, is that uh, this stuff is great stuff. I mean, it's it's incredible. The, the the benefits of a lot of this stuff is is just beyond what anyone ever would think of ten years ago. However, at the same time, somebody has to question while this new technology is created: is what are the the burdens? What are the dangers? What are the vulnerabilities for us as as you know human beings? So. What about, is there such a thing as can we ever really delete all this stuff that, like these young people that put stuff up that's stupid? I mean, is there really a way for that to go away? Or will that reputation stay with them the whole rest of their lives? What do you think? Well, you know, in Europe, uh, over the past couple of years, there was talk about a right to be forgotten, whether right. the law should actually create a right for people to request uh, that information about themselves that they might have actually posted uh, voluntarily be deleted. Right. Uh, I'm a right to be forgotten skeptic. I think it's very difficult to uh, actually operationalize it and implement it in uh, practice, uh, <clears throat> I think that uh, people and, you know, particularly young people uh, should be aware and thoughtful about their social uh, interactions online and mindful about the fact that photos that they post today might come back to haunt them in the future. Uh, and therefore, you know, be careful about it with respect to themselves and also respectful of their uh, friends and colleagues' uh, uh, privacy. So things like asking people for permission to post their photos um, or, you know, not putting uh, up stuff that uh, shows them in a, a, a negative light. So... Uh, uh, but but I think you know that the younger generation is actually very mindful of this and uh, perhaps more uh, savvy about it than than us actually who are um, digital immigrants we we call it as yeah. opposed to digital natives. <laughs> I love that. That's a great thing. 
Well, yeah, and I think I think that they're learning by some of the things that have gone on. But of course, we've seen these kids that committed suicide because of what's gone on there, or what people have said, or or the dif- you know the fraud that's on there. It's it's a it's a wild west, isn't it? It's really the wild west. But we are just about out of time, Omer. So I want you to just please, if you would, um, give the website for the Privacy Association and the dates again for the uh, the wonderful conference coming up. Yeah, so we are on, uh, at privacyassociation.org, uh, Privacy Association, one long word. And the uh, big event is coming up in a couple of weeks, March 5th to 7th in Washington, D.C., and I look forward to seeing many of you there. Oh, yeah, and I look forward to talking to you there, too. Thank you so much, and keep up the great work, and I can't wait to find out more about the new Allen Weston Research uh, Center that you're putting together. So thank you for joining us, Omer, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 